I'm Steve Davis, and uh, I live in the Burbs. I think a lot of us do here, but my neighborhood, um, there are 1,200 living units in my neighborhood. Now, we call them living units because there's homes and there's townhomes and other things. The fact is there's you know, more than 1,000 families that live pretty close to where I live, and uh, the amount of envy that's everywhere in the world, but the amount of envy that's especially in a place where I have more than a thousand people to compare myself to, it's awesome. I mean, if I could, if I could be like that, I'd give anything. I mean, that, that, that thought, it crosses your mind. And uh, I, I was trying to think this week of, of a good example in, in the Davis family life of envy and because he's too young to defend himself, um, I'm going to pick on my son, Bryant. But he's three, and he is great. He wants to do whatever I'm doing, and I love to hang out with him. One of, the, one of our favorite pastimes is to mow the yard. And so while I'm mowing the yard, he's got this, this plastic lawnmower that we got him. And it was real, real basic. I mean, there weren't a lot of frills associated with it. And um, so I'd go back and forth, and he'd go back and forth. Here, I'll show you. Hold on. Okay, so it's, it's pretty basic. It's actually, I thought it was basic when we got it, but it's, it's got this cool rotating thing that kind of hypnotizes him as he goes. But um, that's a great little plastic lawnmower, and he loves it. I mean, when I mow, he mows. We look over at one another. We smile. It's, it's a great father-son moment, and life is good. But I have a neighbor, and he got a lawnmower, and it was better. It was shinier. It was kind of red. Um, and not like this faded red, but like a new red, fire engine red. And Bryant wanted that lawnmower. More than anything else, he wanted that lawnmower. And so whenever Brady, the next door neighbor, was out mowing, fights were involved. Fits were thrown. There was no peace. So what happened? My father-in-law bailed me out. Nothing runs like a deer, you know. And uh, this has got a place to put gas in and check the oil. And when you go, the back thing's supposed to spin. It used to spin. And it uh, makes it look like grass clipping is going, you know. And, uh, oh, man, it was cool. Um, and life was good again, at least for us. But for Brady, life was not good. When Bryant mowed with the John Deere... Um, Fights would happen. Fits were involved and there was no peace. You know what happened? Brady got this. And if it worked, there would be bubbles shooting out right now. Yeah, look at that. Woo! And, uh, you know, for my money, John Deere or bubbles. I mean, come on, it's the John Deere, right? But not for Bryant. And, um, you know, it's not very manly of him, but he wants the bubble mower. (laughs) So when Brady had the bubble mower, um, fights occurred. Fits would happen and there was no peace. And if we thought that there was fighting over these guys, I mean, that's nothing compared to the fights over the bubble mower. Now, this has to stop. 
the escalation of the prices of these doggone plastic lawnmowers, it's got to stop. So I'm putting an end to it, okay? Three options. Option one, Bryant, sit down with me, son. Let's have a talk. It's not okay for you to envy Brady's lawnmower. You know, he's two at this time. It just isn't going to work. So scratch that. Option two, um, because they're my next door neighbor, I know the garage code. I can get into their garage, steal it by cover of night, and then destroy it, pretend like it never existed, and it'd be away forever. Well, you know, I didn't think I could pull that. I probably could. I didn't think I should pull that off. So what I do? Bubbles. So, Brady and Bryant, best... Don't tell Ben. Well, Brady and Bryant, best of friends now. Peace is restored. They, they mow together up and down, up and down. And life is good. Now, if one of those breaks, I'm done. You know what I mean? Bryant's contentment is so fragile because it's all associated with these little, this little plastic mower. Um, but you see, that's okay because Bryant is a toddler. And toddlers have their own property rules. I'm sure you've seen these. They've gone around the internet for some time. I actually heard John Maxwell give this exact list of toddler property rules, and um, he's, he's better than me, so I'll, I'll, I'll go with it too. The toddler property rules go like this. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. And if I think it's mine, it's mine. Let's define envy. Envy is a feeling of discontent or covetousness with regard to another's advantages, successes, or possessions. Think jealousy. Think covet. They're different words. They have slightly different meanings, um, but they're pretty similar. Now, covet should ring a bell, right? It's, it's the 10th commandment, namely that we should not covet that which is our neighbor's, not his house, not his wife, not his stuff. And what envy involves is, um, is comparing and complaining I compare myself to my neighbor, and then seeing some sort of deficiency in my own life, I'll complain about it. But envy involves a little more than that, too. It actually involves resentment. Obviously, me in the middle of suburbia, in the middle of a thousand families, on any given day, I got lots of stuff that I'm seeing some deficiencies about, you know, better cars, better houses, pools. I'm a real sucker for the, the three houses that are three houses down. There's like this corner, and they're all the greatest lawns you've ever seen. I mean, they are. I wonder if they paint them, but we call it, we call it the carpet, and we don't play on the carpet. Um, but they are great yards. Anyway, you don't envy stuff. I don't envy your car. I envy you because you have the car. And when I do that, I actually have some sort of resentment of you. 
Now, I heard it said once that children are heavenly sandpaper, okay? They're, they're given so that they could round out the rough edges in my life. And I kind of like that. So what is it that I can learn from my son, you know, in his, in his envy? What do I envy? I mean, I may, not, I may not throw fits with my neighbors to the extent that Sarah makes me go and give them a hug. <laughs> but I envy, you know, and, and what can I learn from my son? We envy people for lots of reasons, um, because of his or her money, or the stuff that money buys, right? Cars, houses, pools, decks, paver patios, stamped concrete patios, uh, or an amazing front yard. We envy people because of uh, their job. Uh, boy, that, if I had that job, think about the responsibility, the influence, the power, the public recognition that that job comes with it, or, or boy, if I had that job... The hours are so nice, and um, they never seem to have to worry about work when they get home. You can envy people's job. You can envy their family. Um, if I was married to him or her, boy, then I'd be appreciated. You know, my life would be better. Their kids are so well-behaved. That'd be so easy. I envy them because of their kids, you know. They're pregnant, and I really want to be pregnant. Uh, boy, that's a hard one. Bottom line, they have 2.4 kids, a white picket fence, and a great family dog, and they just make me sick, you know? You could envy people because of their character or personality or other kind of life traits. You know, that person has such an amazing prayer life. I wish I could pray like that. They've studied and read so much. Or, uh, you know, that family over there, they're on Dave Ramsey's baby step number five, and I'm stuck on number two. What about you? I don't know. Do you envy people's... Job, looks, grades, degree, status in life, salary, car, apartment, spiritual standing. I mean, envy is everywhere. And it's so easy to fall into that trap. I like what he said, that it's this dark slope that you, you find yourself on. Envy, it's a symptom of a bigger problem. It's a symptom of discontent. And... Uh, Discontent's kind of a, a restless desire or craving for something that you don't have. And I don't know about you. I mean, have you ever met someone who you think's just really discontent? When I was trying to think of examples of, of people that were real discontent, um, I thought of this, this character in this movie. And if you check out the side screens, I, I think you'll know what I mean. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin quarter mile. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Watch this. <laughs> what the heck are you doing? That's what I'm talking about. I better go. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? <laughs> yeah. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. You better believe things would have been different. I'd have gone pro. In a heartbeat. I'd be making millions of dollars and living in a big old mansion somewhere. You know, soaking it up in a hot tub with my soul. 
Uncle Rico. Not real happy with his life situation, right? Man, man, would my life be different. Mansion, hot tub, soulmate. The clip goes on. He actually starts looking into time travel to go back, right? Because he's so obsessed with what he doesn't have and what didn't happen for him in his life. He's so obsessed with that that he's unable to see the gifts that he's been given in his life today. I think that's the real unfortunate part about um, envy issues and, and discontentment. We ignore God's gifts in our own lives. Um, what happens when we do that, it leads to, you know, I wish I was this or I wish I had that. And it can lead to hopelessness and despair and bondage. And that's what we're, that's what we're talking about in this series. We are hostages to our own envy. When we focus on the things of the world, when we focus on the plastic lawnmowers, we'll never have enough. It's so fragile, right? My son's happiness is, is dependent on having the newest or the latest toy. And so are a lot of ours, right? Toys are bigger and they're more expensive, but we still really, really want them. Hmm. All right, specifically, I see two sort of big problems with envy and discontent. First, it's not very encouraging to your neighbor to resent them. You ever have this? I mean, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, So encourage each other and build each other up. Has this conversation ever happened around you? Uh, Joe pulls in with a new vehicle. Steve walks over. New car, huh? Joe, excited. He's got a new car. Of course he's excited. He says, yeah, I just got it yesterday. What do you think? Steve says, must be nice. I mean, that's enough to make you never want to tell this Steve guy that you ever got anything new in your life. It's not encouraging. It makes you feel guilty for having something because he doesn't have it. He resents you. It's not very encouraging, right? We're called to, uh, to be encouragers. Remember we talked a couple months ago about Barnab- Barnabas son of encouragement, and that, that he is, uh, he's got some things really right, you know? How can we encourage our neighbors? We know that all the stuff we have, including our personalities, right, it's given to us. It's gifts from God, so we should be happy for the successes of other people, and it's really, really hard, and I'm not saying it's easy. We're going to get to that in a minute, um, but there's a second problem with envy and discontent. Um, it's a symptom of worldliness, and it sort of tends toward additional worldliness. Now, worldliness um, is a love of the world, w- love of things of the world, and it displaces godliness, love of the Father. Um, Luke sixteen thirteen says this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. James 1, 5 through 8 says this. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. 
Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. It's God or the world. Love of the Father or love of stuff, and we can't love both. So, we could just say, don't envy, and then we could all go home. But we've heard that before, and I still want a nicer car and a nicer house and a pool, and I still want that stuff. So what's wrong with me? How can we foster a spirit of contentment? Here's the thing. The reason I use Bryant's example uh, is because he's a child, and envy is a childish thing. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, it's on your side screen, says, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now, we see things imperfectly in a cloudy mirror. But when we see everything, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. It says, you know, listen, when we were children, we are childish. But as we grow up, as full understanding comes, we'll put away the childish things and become adults. And as we do that, we'll see things more clearly. I want to grow up. I do. Let's go. Here's the antidote. The antidote to envy, the antidote to being discontent, is to find contentment. I love Love the definition of contentment in our core verse today. It's Proverbs 14.30. And it says that a heart at peace gives life to the body. I like that. But envy rots the bones. It's that first part. A heart at peace gives life to the body. So content heart. A content heart is a heart at peace. Now that doesn't mean I'm lazy. I mean a healthy work ethic is important. But I don't strive for worldly things because of the power of because of the prestige or, or, or because of the pride that's associated with them, right? Um, you'd have a, a healthy prioritization of stuff. I like this story. There's a story about this rich industrialist who uh, was quite disturbed to find a fisherman sitting, relaxing by his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing, he asked. Well, because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Well, why don't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. What would I do with them? Well, you could earn more money, came the impatient reply, and you'd buy a better boat so that you could go deeper and catch more fish. Then you could purchase some nylon nets, catch even more fish, and make more money. And soon, you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich, like me. And the fisherman said, well, what would I do then? You could sit down and enjoy life. What do you think I'm doing right now? Fisherman wasn't lazy, but he was content. He understood that there's a time to work and a time to relax and that working so that you can get more and more stuff, it's fragile. Again, Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says this, not that I was ever in need for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost anything or almost nothing, or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. 
Steve reminded us this last week that Paul wrote a lot of the stuff he wrote in prison. Paul wrote this, that I've learned to be content in whatever stage I'm in while chained to a Roman guard. So again, I'm not just going to say don't envy and leave. I love what Paul says because what he says is, I have learned how to be content. It must not be this thing that as soon as you uh, meet Jesus, you're suddenly content. It must be something that's hard, that takes some time, that's a process. And so how can we learn to be content together? I thought of some things that, that have begun to help me become more content. I thought I'd share them with you. First, uh, we are eternal. Our things, our stuff, it's not. First Timothy 6.6 6 says that true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. So my question for me is this, you know, what, what priority have I placed on the things eternal? And what, have I, what priority have I placed uh, on the things that are going to go away? And how can I rearrange those priorities that I may live in accordance with this teaching? So first, we're eternal. Stuff's not. The only thing that's going to be in the new heaven and new earth that's here on earth right now, that's us. Two, focus on what I've been given, not on what others have. Paul, in the next very few verses of Philippians 4, goes on to thank his supporters in Philippi for all that they've given him. So while sitting in the jail cell, he writes and says, I've got more than I need. I really appreciate it. Thanks. I don't need anything else. He's in jail. I mean, that's awesome. So the question for me is, what in my life have I been ignoring? What blessings in my life have I been ignoring that I need to celebrate? It's a focus on what I've been given, not on what other people have. Third, we talked about a little bit already. Find ways to encourage one another. Find ways to encourage your neighbors. How can I celebrate my neighbor's success and encourage them every day? And fourth, dig into the Word. We have some pretty amazing promises that are given to us in the Bible. Um, and as the verse from Corinthians stated earlier, you know, as we become adults, we're going to see things more clearly. We're going we're to find it easier to be content as we become spiritual adults, I suppose. And I still got a lot of growing up, but the best way to do that that I found is to dig into the Word. Here's a few things I found this week that have allowed me to be a little more content. We can be content because in Christ we're told we have everything we need. This is out of Colossians 2. But 8 through 10 says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ, I like this, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you, are, you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. In Christ, we have the fullness of God. Life to the full that we're chasing, we can only get it in Christ. 
Second, we can be content because we have an inheritance greater than anything we'd ever find here on earth. Romans 8, 15 through 17. I love this one. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful, slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Since we're his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we were to, and, and, and that's it. I mean, we are heirs with Christ in God's glories. We have an inheritance that we'd never get here on earth. Joint heirs with Christ of the Father's kingdom. Cool, huh? All right. Finally, we can be content because God gave up his son for us. See, I think that when I envy and when I, when I feel myself being discontent, what I'm thinking is God is holding out on me. You know? He's given other people this stuff. He's holding out on me. He could give it. I mean, he could give it if he wanted to. Why is he holding out? But Romans 8.32 says, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? He's not holding out on me. When we consider the, the true value of the cross, nothing else seems very important. The essence then of contentment is being satisfied with the incomparable and limitless treasures found in Jesus Christ. Contentment is your soul saying, I have Jesus, and Jesus is enough. Pray with me. God, we're, we're so thankful for what we've been given, which has always been more than enough. And God, please forgive us when we when we act like you've held out on us. God, give us hearts of contentment. Help us to be more diligent in studying your word so that we can behave more like your son Jesus who died for us. Thank you, God. Amen.